The following KOPN podcast is made possible by the generous donations from listeners like you. Please consider a donation to listener-supported community radio, KOPN. You can donate securely online at kopn.org. Thank you. Hi, welcome to Food Sleuth Radio, where we help you think beyond your plate. I'm Melinda Hemmelgarn, a registered dietitian and investigative nutritionist on a mission to connect the dots between food, health, and agriculture and find food truth. And today I am delighted to welcome a colleague that I knew decades ago. His expertise is food safety, Dr. Don Schaffner. He's an extension specialist in food science and a distinguished professor at Rutgers University based in New Brunswick, New Jersey. His research interests include hand washing, cross-contamination, and quantitative microbial risk assessment. He has authored more than 180 peer-reviewed publications and educated thousands of food industry professionals around the world. He is a fellow of the Institute of Food Technologists, the American Academy of Microbiology, and International Association for Food Protection. He has served as an editor for Applied and Environmental Microbiology since 2005. Dr. Schaffner was the president of IAFP, which is the International Association for Food Protection from 2013 to 2014. And in his spare time, he co-hosts the Food Safety Talk and Risky or Not podcasts, and we'll provide links to those. Welcome, Dr. Schaffner. It's great to have you with me. Hey, Melinda. It's a pleasure to be here today. So we have attended food safety conferences together decades ago. We have now reconnected. I knew I wanted to have a food safety specialist on not only to talk about COVID-19 and food issues, but also to talk about food safety because our food environment is changing so much. We have more people not only cooking at home today, but we have more people relying on takeout and alternative methods of food distribution. So I thought we would start the conversation with a very basic question. How did you yourself become interested in food safety? Oh, now this is a really good question, and I'm going to try to have my answer not take up our entire time together. So I've been thinking a lot about this recently because as a senior in high school, I knew that I wanted to study biology. And my dad, who was a biologist, said, don't study biology, there's no jobs, but you should go talk to my buddy, who's a faculty member over in the food science department, and you should consider majoring in food science. And so I did, and his spiel was basically, look, People always have to eat. And so if you get a job in food science, you will always have a job because people always have to eat. Well, turns out I took all the basic science classes. I loved them. I took the food science classes, and I didn't love them so much because it was all about how to make better Jello or the next cheese whiz. And I did, that was just not my thing. But then I took a general micro class where the professor read to us from Morbidity and Mortality Weekly Reports that I still read from today. And I took a class in food microbiology, and I said, you know what, this is some part of food science that I really like. And at first, I studied fermented foods. From there, went into using fermentations to extract useful chemicals from food processing waste. 
But after I finished my graduate studies, I ended up at Rutgers, and it occurred to me that my interest in computers and math and statistics and microbiology could really all come together very nicely as I studied predictive food microbiology, which then became quantitative microbial risk assessment. And so uh, I've really never looked back, and I've been blessed with an administration at Rutgers University that for the most part has just left me alone to go and pursue what I thought was interesting. And uh, lo and behold, uh, here I am today. We're in the midst of a pandemic and people still have to eat and people have lots of questions about germs and food. And so I've really retooled basically everything that I do for the most part of 75%, let's say, just communicating about COVID-19 and how it relates to the food supply. Yeah, it's fascinating. There's never a dull moment when it comes to food safety, as I've learned. And you're right, we are in the throes of COVID-19 with many questions remaining. You have been quoted widely throughout the press nationally, probably internationally. But I think one of the questions that rises to the top that we probably should help our listeners just have a basic understanding around is, can you catch the coronavirus from food? So this is a really good question. And so let's start with the party line from the Food and Drug Administration and from the CDC, which which I agree with. And that basically is a statement that says there is no evidence that people can contract COVID-19 from food or from food packaging. So that's the short answer. But let's take a minute to unpack that because, in fact, one of the things that I was doing shortly before I was scheduled to talk with you is someone pointed out to me there's a recent editorial in the Journal of the Environmental Health Association, basically, that makes a statement that we can't rule out the possibility from food. And they cited a paper and they said this paper says that it could be transmitted by food. But if you go and you read that paper, which was published in The Lancet, what it actually says was, well, we have a cluster of COVID cases when these people were at a conference. And they did a bunch of different things at the conference, including team building exercises and shared meals. And so just because I'm sitting next to somebody who's symptomatic or asymptomatic and we're sharing a meal together and I later contract COVID-19, did I get that from the food? Well, no, I probably got it from sitting next to the person while we were sharing a meal together. And there's other examples from the literature as well where people were eating in the same restaurant at the same time and because of the air conditioning pattern flow and people are in restaurants for a long time. They're there for an hour, for two hours, they're talking. If they're infected and they exhale, the virus is in what they're exhaling and those particles can blow around. And so certainly you can contract COVID-19 in environments where there are food, but that's not the same thing as saying you can get it from the food. And if we look at how public health people investigate outbreaks, there's a certain pattern to food poisoning outbreaks. And there's a different pattern to outbreaks that are spread by person-to-person contact and by respiratory droplets. And as far as we can tell, all of the spread of COVID-19 cases comes from that person-to-person droplet spread rather than being spread by food. Like imagine a scenario where a worker is symptomatic or asymptomatic for COVID-19 and they make a bunch of sandwiches and then those sandwiches are later sold and then those people eat those sandwiches and they all come down with COVID. Well, that's going to look differently than if, let's say, you go into the deli and you have a conversation with the the guy at the cash register who's symptomatic or asymptomatic for COVID-19 or you sit in the deli and eat food next to somebody else. And so, again, no evidence right now that it's spread via food, but of course, 
food science people, food safety people like me, we're always looking. We're looking in the literature. We're looking for anecdotal reports that indicate that it's spread by food. But to date, we haven't seen any. So this is a shared air experience rather than a shared food experience from what we know today. Exactly. And, you know, we've seen other interesting examples. There was one that was written up recently in the L.A. Times where folks that were scheduled to go to a choir practice, they were thinking this was, this was before everything was canceled, and so there was nobody was sick, but they were like, oh, we really want to have choir practice, and so let's use hand sanitizer, let's not do our usual hugging and shaking of hands, but let's all stand together for about two hours and inhale and exhale a whole lot. And it turns out, tragically, more than two-thirds of those people later came down with COVID-19 and some of them died. And again, so it's really just being around people who are exhaling coronavirus. That seems to be what gives you COVID-19. Okay. Now, there is another issue regarding food, and there are two ways we can go with this. The first is how this virus originated in our environment in the first place. And there are discussions about zoonotic spillover, where the interface between humans and animals, because of our land use patterns and population explosion, has created more opportunities for us to be exposed to the organisms that cause the illness. And we could also take it down the other path, which is the food itself that we bring into the home and the containers that it comes in. But I think we'd be wise to start upstream a little bit farther Let's talk about how this virus came to be in our environment. There are a lot of rumors. Did it come from a lab? Did it come from a raw meat market? What is your understanding? Well, yes, and that's a very good place to start. So I think what we have to realize is that we've known for a long time that the coronavirus is generally, and let's take a minute here, right, because I'm going to use the word coronavirus, but when I say coronavirus, in a general sense, what I mean is a whole category of viruses that all have a similar appearance. And in fact, they're called coronaviruses because if you look at them under the electron microscope, they have what appears to be like a corona that you'll see around a sun. And that corona is from the spike proteins that are basically arrayed around the virus. They go from the inside of the virus particle to the outside. And that's what gives it its name. And that also those spike proteins are related to infection and how the virus causes illness. But we've known for a long time that coronavirus generally can jump species. And we have a number of examples of this. We have the original SARS outbreak. We have the MERS outbreak. And again, now SARS-CoV-2, which is the proper name for the virus that causes COVID-19. And so we know for sure that these coronaviruses generally can jump between species. We have evidence of that. Actually, sort of almost a little bit humorously, the most recent example we have of that is there was a tiger in a zoo in the United States who apparently have contracted coronavirus from an infected zookeeper. So the viruses can jump both directions, both from animals to humans and then from humans back to animals, apparently. The good news is, as far as we know, we don't seem to be able to swap coronavirus with dogs. And so my two dogs are, are very happy about that. <laughs> That's good. But, so let's talk about, again, there's a bunch of different scenarios about how this got into the, the humans. And it could have been via these wet markets that we see in China. It could have been from... Uh, and again, this eventually will probably all be worked out. I mean, folks are genetically sequencing the coronavirus. They're looking for sequences of related coronaviruses, and you can do a little bit of evolutionary virology and try to figure out what was the most likely host. And again, smart scientists are working on that. So it's, it almost assuredly came from an animal. 
Now, whether it came from eating an animal, unlikely, but certainly it came from humans and animals being in close association together. Yeah, for sure, we, we've known for a while that that's definitely a risk factor. And again, a lot of concerns about these live animal markets in China as being a possible origination point for many of these novel viruses that do seem to be cropping up. What is a wet market exactly? My understanding of what a wet market is, is that it is a place where live animals are being sold. And it's called the wet market because these are just very wet places. You've got fresh produce, you've got animals, and people are in these markets and they're buying and they're selling. And there's a lot of people and there's a lot of animals in in a really small space, which is a recipe for virus jumping from species to species. Mm-hmm. Okay. And I think that I just want to interject here, you know, there has been so much emphasis on China's role in this disease. And I think that if we turn the mirror on ourselves and say, what kind of livestock agriculture do we have within the United States that also provides petri dish of bacterial contamination as well as antibiotic resistance. And I think that in all fairness, we have to look at some of our own livestock practices with confined animal feeding operations, for example. Would you agree? Well, certainly those are a concern to people for ethical reasons. There's a concern, as you mentioned, about antibiotic resistance. I think that there does seem to be something unique around the practices in China that are different than the practices that we have here. As far as we know, we've never had a novel coronavirus originate here in the United States, although I I guess certainly that, that example of the spread to the from the human to the tiger in the zoo might be one sort of example of species jumping in the United States. But the issues you raise, I think, are valid issues, but probably, at least as I compartmentalize or think about them within my own structure of food safety and risk, I think I would put those in a different bin than the risk for species jumping for coronavirus. Okay. Different risks, but of some level of risk, but different than thinking about why we're now fighting COVID-19. Sure. A different food safety story. That's fair. Let me take one break and remind our listeners that if you're just joining us, you are tuned into Food Sleuth Radio. We are joined by Dr. Donald Schaffner. He is a microbiologist and food safety expert at Rutgers University in New Brunswick, New Jersey, widely quoted on topics regarding food safety. And we are focusing on the changes that have occurred since the coronavirus and how food interacts specifically. All right. One of the other directions we could go with food and coronavirus has to do with takeout. More people are both cooking at home and also relying on takeout and delivery services. And there has been some concern about the containers or the packages in which food comes in. You may have seen a video that was going around. There was a doctor explaining how when he gets his groceries delivered, he takes each item out, washes them down with a disinfectant wipe. How much of this is necessary and how safe is takeout food? Oh, well, I'm so glad you asked me this question. Takeout food is just as safe as it was before the pandemic. So let's start there. And you'll notice as a, a risk expert and as a food expert, I never say something is safe or it's not safe, only it's levels of risk. And so the level of risk for takeout food hasn't changed. I did indeed see a part of that video. I made myself watch it once because I wanted to post a rebuttal which I did, and I posted, and and this has been sort of my claim to fame with all of this. I posted a tweet thread 
on Twitter, rebutting it. It took off. It became literally a viral uh, thread in its own right. 11,000 retweets and lots and lots of views and likes and and actually has bumped up my uh, Twitter following considerably. And it's made me a fan of Twitter as a communication medium. And I've been using it a lot to communicate in the pandemic about this. But basically, I think that the doctor certainly was well-intentioned, but I think his concerns are misplaced. I don't think it's necessary that you sanitize the outside of your packaging. I don't recommend that you spray down your takeout bag with Lysol. Remember, let's start with where we know the risk comes from. The risk comes from, first and foremost, symptomatic individuals. So if there's someone who is actively sick, coughing and sneezing, shedding the virus, that represents a risk to you. So when it comes to takeout food, that your biggest risk is going to be the other customers in the store, or it's going to be the delivery driver who brings the takeout food to you. Now, of course, stores, at least around me and I'm sure around you, are enacting policies to keep us safe. The local Thai restaurant that I give my takeout business to, they have a sign outside saying one customer in the store at a time. They've blocked off the store so you can't go and wander around. You just sort of come in through the anteway there and then there's a table and you just stand at the table by yourself and then the person from the restaurant brings the food out. They'll take your credit card over the phone so we can do a touch-free transaction. Many of these delivery services also, there's apps or platforms where you can take care of payment and so you don't have to exchange. Again, many of these services are instructing their drivers to practice social distancing because honestly, they want to keep their workforce healthy as well. And so there's at least as big a risk of the driver giving me COVID-19 as me giving the COVID-19 to the driver. In fact, I would say the risk might even be higher. One reason I might be staying at home and ordering takeout is I'm not feeling so well and I'm coming down with COVID-19. And so, so that's where the real risks are. So I don't recommend that you wipe down your food when you get it back from the grocery store. I don't recommend that you wipe down your takeout packaging. What I do recommend, and this was a good idea before the pandemic, it'll be a good idea after the pandemic as well, and that is when you come in from the grocery store, if you go shopping, wash your hands. Put your groceries away. If you're still worried about coronavirus on your hands or SARS-CoV-2, as we say, then wash your hands or use hand sanitizer again. And I think it's really important to realize in these times Hand washing and hand sanitizer are both two excellent tools to reduce your possibility of contracting the virus. And the same thing applies to takeout, right? When you go out and you get the takeout, practicing good social distancing from the driver or you bring it back from the store yourself, practice social distancing. When you get home, remove the outside packaging, recycle or throw that away, and then wash your hands or use hand sanitizer. And then when you sit down to eat, again, this was a great idea before. It'll be a great idea after. It's always a good idea to wash your hands or use hand sanitizer before you sit down to a meal. And those, I think, are the key ways that we're going to be able to stop the transmission of the disease. And it's interesting. I've heard from a lot of folks in response to my Twitter thread. There are some folks that are very angry with me and say, I want to keep sanitizing my groceries. And I guess my message for those people is, hey, if that makes you feel better, if that gives you some feeling of control in these times where we have a loss of control, I'm not going to tell you not to do that. I'm not going to recommend that you do it, but I'm not going to tell you not to do it. If you want to do it, go ahead. And I've also heard from way more people who said, oh, I'm so glad that you told me this because I tried to follow the directions from the doctor in the video, and it made me into a nervous wreck. I almost had a panic attack. I was so worried that I was going to miss some part of the package and give myself coronavirus, thank you so much for giving me permission to stop doing this. And so I've been very gratified with the response to all of that. So that's my 
rather long and elaborate answer to your simple question. No, I fall into that same camp. And I think that it is really helpful to know that I don't have to be compulsive about washing everything that comes into the house with this fear of contamination. And I'll tell you, there's also been studies looking at how long the virus lasts, say, on cardboard versus plastic and stainless steel. And so there's always this idea or this cloud that we walk under that there might be virus on this container or package, and it could get into me. And so taking a little bit of that fear away and really giving us the tools that we need to stay safe, boiling down to handwashing again, is really critical. Now, getting back to handwashing, 20 seconds. 20 seconds seems like a lifetime almost when you're actually in the process. It's a long time. Have there been research studies showing that 10 seconds is not enough? You got to have the 20. Well, this is another, because we've actually done research on, not with SARS-CoV-2, but we've done research with bacteria and hand washing, and I think you mentioned that in my bio. So what I would say to people is, and I actually I did a really interesting interview with the folks from the 538 blog about where does the 20-second recommendation come from. And in fact, it doesn't really come from anywhere. And if you go to the published literature, there's not a lot of real clear-cut evidence. Certainly washing for longer is better. Shorter is not as good. But you know what? One of the things that we studied, my graduate student calls the splash and dash. And that's where you basically use cold water and no soap and you just put your hands under the faucet for five seconds. Well, guess what? That's not great. But even the splash and dash will give you some reduction in risk. But of course, what we'd rather have people do is to, is when you wash your hands, you should wash your hands for, you should lather for at least 15 seconds, right? And so let's go through the steps for a good hand wash, right? So the first thing you do is you turn on the water. Next thing you do is you get your hands wet. Getting your hands wet before you apply soap will help the soap to spread. You take some soap, probably pump soap is what most people are using these days, so you take a pump or two of soap, you lather up your hand. And that lathering process and that rubbing process should take about 15 seconds. And then once you're done lathering, rinse off, and then for extra added measure, I suggest that you dry your hands with either a clean dish towel or a paper towel. We've done research that shows that that use of a a paper towel or or a cloth towel actually helps to remove more bacteria from your hands if you had a a lot of bacteria in the first place. So that's that's the way to do it. As you mentioned, 20 seconds is a long time. I'm going to depart from the official sanctioned advice, which says that you have to wash your hands for 20 seconds and say, you know what? We know about this virus. We know that it's susceptible to alcohol-based hand sanitizers. And so if you're in a hurry, you can just take a hit of alcohol-based hand sanitizer and then rub that on your hands. Don't dry your hands, but rub that on your hands until the alcohol evaporates. That'll take about 30 seconds. But here's the thing. You can be moving on to your next activity while you're doing that instead of standing at the sink. And we do know that these alcohol-based hand sanitizers are very effective against coronavirus. And so whatever you choose to do, you should realize that that's going to give you some reduction in risk. You're not sterilizing your hands, but you are definitely reducing the possibility that if there was a coronavirus there, that there'll be less coronavirus when you're done with that process. That's great. That's really good for everyone to know, I think. Now, the other issue that I wanted to bring up has to do with where we get our takeout from. So there are many restaurants that are providing takeout And those restaurants, I'm assuming, are still regulated by departments of health. They're being inspected. But there are other 
places where we can get takeout food. So some of these might be delivery services. A blue apron, for example, is very popular. There are also something called ghost kitchens. And I wonder if you could help our listeners understand what are the safest places to get takeout food? Well, I would say the safest places to get takeout food are places that you know that you've actually visited physically in real life. So, for example, we have a Thai restaurant that I've mentioned in my neighborhood that we've patronized. There's a pizza place that we patronize. And I've been to those restaurants. I know what they look like on the inside. I've looked at the restrooms, and they meet my standards. But ghost kitchens are an interesting phenomenon. And the idea of these ghost kitchens, for those that may not be familiar with them, basically the idea here is that these kitchens exist only, I mean, they exist in physical space, but they're not a restaurant that you could actually go and sit down. Like they may be in a location with a bunch of other ghost kitchens that are presenting different meals through different websites, and you're accessing them through one of the delivery apps. And so the physical restaurant may not exist anywhere, but it's just a kitchen that's serving all these different foods. And those, I think, are a little bit more problematic, right? I mean, uh, theoretically, if they're preparing food, they're going to be inspected. But just by virtue of the fact that they seem to exist as this not really in real space, but only in the digital world and in a kitchen somewhere, at least they raise some level of concern for me. So so my recommendation is stick with neighborhood restaurants that you know, certainly all the big chains, they have corporate food safety people and they're managing, they're doing a good job in terms of food safety. And so patronize those chains if that's your desire. And so, but I would stay away from restaurants that you've never been to physically. I mean, they might be fine, but they might also be a ghost kitchen. And that would give me a little bit of concern, I think. Yeah, and I'm concerned, too, about regulations that had been in place that are being maybe weakened because of the chaotic nature that this COVID-19 has brought to our society, where we have maybe less inspection because of reduced number of staff. So I like your idea of sticking with a place that you went to before and you know is safe. So we just have a few minutes left. Is there anything else you want our listeners to know about COVID-19, coronavirus, and food safety? Yeah, let's talk about something that we kind of brushed past before, and that's washing your food and and fresh produce, right? So we know, again, one of the things that the doctor in the viral video recommended was washing your fresh produce with soap. And this is just a remarkably bad idea. Soap ingestion can cause nausea, vomiting, and diarrhea. It's good for hands. It's good for dishes. It's not recommended for fresh produce. And so my recommendation with fresh produce is just simply wash with cold water. If it's something that has a hard surface, like a vegetable scrub brush, you can scrub that, and that's a good solution. I did see somebody on Twitter saying that she just wiped down her apple with a Lysol wipe. That's another really bad idea. These wipes are designed for use on hard surface as a hard surface sanitizer. They're not designed for use on food. And so when it comes to fresh produce, stick to washing it under water. Oh, and the other thing I'll say is that if you're talking about berries, berries should be washed right before you eat them. If you bring home a a flat of blueberries or a flat of raspberries, I suggest that you don't wash them before you put them in your refrigerator because that's going to leave them saturated with water. They're going to mold and they're going to spoil more easily. And so for something like that, it's just it's perfectly fine to wash it right before you're going to eat it. And, and again, don't use soap. If you want to use one of those vegetable washes, you know, I've seen the science on some of them, and, and some of them have done a good job, and they've published 
reputable science that shows that they're effective. A lot of them are, are kind of snake oil, and so I would be, be a little bit buyer beware with those fresh produce washes. But I've heard people say, well, should I use vinegar? Should I use salt? It's like, well, you could put salt and vinegar in your water for your fresh produce. It's one of those things where it might make you feel better. It's probably not doing anything in terms of food safety, but I would stay away from soap. I would stay away from bleaches, and I would definitely stay away from any disinfecting wipes for use on fresh produce. Again, my bottom line there is just rinse it under some cold water and you'll be fine. This has been great, Dr. Schaffner. You know, our time is up, but I would love to have you back at some point to talk about other food safety issues that were important to us before COVID-19 and will certainly be important today and going forward. So you've been wonderful. I want to thank our listeners for joining us. I want to remind everyone that Food Sleuth Radio is produced by Dan Hemmelgarn at KOPN Studios in beautiful downtown Columbia, Missouri. Most of all, I want to thank my guest, Dr. Don Schaffner, microbiologist and food safety expert at Rutgers University in New Brunswick, New Jersey. We will provide links to both of your podcasts, Food Safety Talk and Risky or Not. Thank you so much for your insights. Oh, it's a pleasure to be here, Melinda. I'd be happy to come back anytime. time.